Ho there! You're listening to the Goblin Broadcast Network. GBNCom.com. Did you mean to do that? Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Welcome. This is the Bears Grove. I'm your host, Sam Chupp. Running time for this episode is approximately 53 minutes. This is episode number 32. On the program today, we're going to be talking a little bit about movies. We go into one of my favorite movies. We're going to talk a little bit about how the lessons learned in that movie can be applied to your role-playing game. And we're going to have an interview with the author of the podcast novel series, Seventh Son. J.C. Hutchins is his name, and he's going to talk to us about the craft of storytelling. And I think you might get some serious benefit out of that. But first, some news and notes. Well, if you're just listening to the podcast for the very first time, you've got a lot of catching up to do. There's 31 other episodes. Plus, there are a lot of episodes of podcasts that are affiliated with the Bears Grove. The Bears Grove Bardic Circle is one of them. And on that podcast, you can hear episodes of my own podcast novel, Heart of the Hunter. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. Also, we have a new podcast. Uh, we have we have several other podcasts that are what I call non-periodic podcasts. They're more um, focused on a topic and getting a quality result out of that topic than creating a lot of uh, episodes that may or may not be on topic for that particular area. So th- these are very focused podcasts. One of them is called Dragonkin, uh, which is about kids in role-playing, and the other is called Square One Podcast, which is about just role-playing in general and getting people interested who have never played before. Well, I got to sit down and play Spirit of the Century for a little while this weekend, and I really enjoyed it. I'll be posting uh, some of the of my uh, impressions on the forum at the Bears Grove, and yes, we do have a forum. It's forums.bearsgrove.com. Go in there and you can read more about the Spirit of the Century session that we had. I enjoyed it. It's a great deal of fun. Um, hopefully you're going to play again soon. You know, when you first start out Spirit of the Century, you're going to have to spend a lot of time doing character creation. But after that, everything is pretty much ready to go. Next up, we have our piece on movies and role-playing games. Please note that this piece was recorded in the car and uh, is kind of noisy. I apologize for that in advance. Also, if you know for a fact that you really don't like the movie uh, Joe vs. the Volcano, then you might as well skip this section. Uh, it's <laughs> it's all about that and... Um, so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Luckily, not very many people even remember what this movie is or even saw it in the theater, so it shouldn't be much of a problem for you. Okay, so here it is. Kids, get off my lawn, you hear? Theoryfromtheclosset.com One of the things I've always encouraged people to do when they're running stories, when they're creating games and running games, is to learn about the art of screenwriting. And to study movies. And when I was in college, I, I took several movie studies courses because they fascinate me as storytelling uh, medium. 
and you know, ever since then, I've been unable to watch a movie without actually tearing it apart and sort of figuring out what it means on some other level or basically it's meant that I can't just watch a movie anymore which is okay that's fine sometimes you have to give up these things in the pursuit of other things but uh, I found that was interesting so one of the things that movie people talk about is the stakes of a movie of the pacing of a movie um, there's another thing called the mise-en-scene which is kind of how everything is put together um, and certainly I'm not going to go so deeply into movies that I'm going to teach a course right here and now but I wanted to talk about the aspects of movies which are specifically applicable to storytelling role playing um Let's start out with the three-act structure. You know, there's this curve that is plotted in the drama, the, the sense of drama in the plot, and, you know, you start out with sort of background, and then you move into more and more increasingly important conflicts and information. Uh, you set up the next conflict, you pay off that conflict with a little climax, you move forward with another step, uh, set, it up, set up the next conflict. I was doing a lot of that when I was writing my novel, and when I'm writing the novel that I've got right now. Conflict drives the story. It's hard to get around that. What in, in movies, definitely, conflict is what draws people in, and you can almost see them uh, in, the, in the beginning of the movie throwing in with this or that person. I'm going to talk a little bit about maybe a movie that I'm, I'm fond of. Uh, it's called Joe versus the Volcano, and a lot of people don't maybe don't even remember this movie it was not a very incredibly popular movie uh, but I really like it on a number of different levels the first scene in Joe vs. the Volcano is Joe going to work Joe goes to work in this factory which is just the most disgusting place to possibly work in your life I mean they make prosthetics. Um, it's just foul. You know, they... And they do a lot to show you, you know, this is disgusting. This is an awful, horrible place to work. And they do this by... The music, which is... Uh, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the song. I can sing it, it's, uh, you know, oh, 15 tons is what it is, 15 tons, and what do you get, another day older and deeper in debt, St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go, I owe my soul to the company store, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of how you're supposed to feel, that sort of, thunk, thunk. There's that beat in the first scene that's just, like, driving. And, uh, everything is gray and lifeless. And Joe goes walking in to the office, and, you know, even his coffee is terrible. I mean, you could look at this coffee and you go, Oh, my God, how could anyone drink that? I mean... You know, you've got uh, clumps of creamer in there, but the coffee is clearly not even warm enough to uh, melt the creamer. That's how bad it is. But and also, it looks like it's solid. You know, it's like sludge. And 
from the moment he walks into his office, his boss is on the phone, and they're, they're all in this open seating area. You can tell it's his boss, because he's like, you're late. And the boss is sitting there saying, well, I, I know you can do the job. I know you can get the job, but can you do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. I know you can do the job, but can you get the job? Yes. Yes. And he just says that over and over and over and over. And you're like, my God, that's so annoying. Well, the whole point to this is that, you know, this is Joe's world. He goes in, that you're walking into, and it's miserable. Okay? It's just terrible, and I feel sorry for him right away. And so, my reaction to Joe and to the situation is to first go, my God, that's a terrible place to work. And the second thing is to be there with Joe and to feel as though, you know, he's he's in a bad spot and you kind of like him, you know, we're focusing on him. I like him because I know what happens later. But, you know, he's not a bad guy. He seems like a nice guy. He says hi to the secretary, you know, and um, so he has this lamp and he puts the takes the lamp out. He turns the lamp on and it begins to play this little music and it starts turning around. The, the shade on the lamp starts turning around and the lit from within um, on the shade you can see this beach scene it looks beautiful it looks like a island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean it, it's so just you know it's thousand miles away to several thousand miles away from where he is you know it's that idea of okay here is somewhere in this world which is not this awful and of course in the cinematography of it they actually found a way to make that light not gray, which is interesting. So symbolically in the film, Joe has this thing in his desk, and obviously, you know, and it, and it is the only place where you can actually get color, any kind of different color than gray, in the office. It's literally bringing him life, bringing him some kind of uh, life force or life essence. He's just sitting there and basking in the light of it. And then, of course, what does his boss do but come and say to him, this is not regulation, and, and basically yanks the thing out of the wall. Says, you can't have this lamp. It's totally against morale. And uh, that's kind of like a, a challenging moment, and that's to me at the beginning of the of the conflict, which is where you know Joe knows there's a um, better life for him out there in the world. Joe is unable to get that life because of people like his boss, and also because he's just not there. He's he's submitting himself to this process, to this uh, to this job, and he's. Oh, gosh, he's just sitting there, and, and life is so awful for him. Um, and then he has to go to the doctor. So he goes to the doctor. And the doctor tells him that he's got six months to live. And Joe's like, what? And he's like, well, you know, we wouldn't have found this if we hadn't been doing so many tests because we couldn't figure out what's wrong with you. We don't know what's wrong with you. And, you know, to everybody else in the audience, we know what's wrong with Joe. Joe's depressed, you know? He, he, he's working in a terrible place with terrible people. And he's depressed as hell. But, you know, he's... He doesn't see that. He's he's looking to science and, and to medicine to like fix him. Um, like maybe he just has a problem. So the doctor's like, look, we wouldn't have found this disease if we hadn't been doing so many tests. But you have what's called a brain cloud. So you're going to live for another six months, and then one day 
you're gonna die. Boom, like that. And Joe's like, like that? You know, what the hell? And the doctor is, you know, basically saying, look, you're gonna live, and you won't be, won't have any symptoms or any problems until then, and then you're gonna die. So my suggestion to to you is that you take a trip. And this is a way for the story to get moving, and it is a, it's like pulling the trigger on a gun, not one of those guns, like, not not like a bullet gun, like a regular gun, but like, I don't know if you've ever played with water, water rockets before, you pump a water rocket up to a certain point, and it's sitting there going, because it's got so much pressure inside, and you push the button, and boom, the water rocket goes shooting off. Well, it's that kind of thing. We've already put a lot of pressure on Joe. Joe lives in a terrible situation. He works in a terrible situation. And the doctor has finally told him, has basically said, you've got six months to live. If I were you, I would go and do whatever you want to do for six months because you're going to die after that. And Joe's like blown away by this. And he steps outside the, the uh, office and he's thinking about, I've got to go back to work. And you can see it on his face. He doesn't say a word, but you can see it on Joe's face. I'm going to back, I have to go back to work. And then suddenly he realizes something. He's got six months to live. And you can see it on his face. He's changing right there on the, in the state that he is. He's changing. And suddenly he smiles. And you're thinking, why the heck is he smiling? He just found out he's dying. Well, he realized at that point that he's free. And he can go. And he's gone, basically. He's already left. He hasn't actually done the leaving part, but he's already left. So I won't spoil the more of the movie for you. Actually, I've only just set the movie up for you because everything else is, goes from there. But I wanted to, to mention some of the elements of the plot that is applicable to a game. Now, what happened if we were role-playing Joe versus the Volcano is that, for example, Joe would have a very long scene there. Okay? And other people... That if Joe is one is the only player. Other people would be sitting there, twiddling their thumbs because Joe is there, and Joe is the only person really doing any action. Same thing goes for Joe when he goes to the doctor. Okay. Now in game, those two scenes would probably take maybe five, ten minutes tops. But it all depends on how long the narrator wants to take to describe the scene. And the only, the only way to do that really is to do it, to do it justice is to take your time. But even then, you know, we don't have to do the level of um, visual storytelling that has to be done in a movie. So we can describe things and just say, look, this is a terrible thing. Um, you know, you can even have some of the other players playing some of the the extras in those scenes. Um, somebody sitting there at the table saying, I know you can get the job, but can you do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. <laughs> that just makes me laugh every time I hear it. Even when I say it, it makes me laugh. So, there's that. You can enjoy the process of telling the story if you allow yourself to get into that story to enjoy it, to wrap yourself up in it and to play on the symbolism you know but how many people would spend time establishing a character like that and, and think about the fact that maybe last time you played you didn't give that kind of love to the character that you're playing. And and every character really deserves that kind of setup. 
and that kind of, that kind of love. Next up, we have our interview with J.C. Hutchins. So these two cars are traveling. Are they flying cars? Uh, sure. These two flying cars are traveling from... Wait, wait, wait. Like S.H.I.E.L.D. style from Marvel Comics or like a DeLorean from Back to the Future? Uh, well, DeLorean. <laughs> Killer. Okay, so two flying DeLoreans are traveling from Tokyo to... Can it be Neo-Tokyo? Yeah, it's kind of like that. But with games too. Canon Puncture Podcast. Can it have ninjas too? Today, I'm talking to J.C. Hutchins, author of the wildly popular trilogy of podcast novels called, collectively, Seventh Son. The first novel, Descent, and the second novel, Deceit, are due to be followed up on July 7th, 2007, that's 7707, with an as yet unreleased title. J.C. is a master storyteller, and I'd like to give him a big Bears Grove welcome. Hi, J.C. Sam, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And coming from someone like you, the title of master storyteller, I am in awe. Thank you for saying that, sir. Well, you certainly kept me on the edge of my seat with your stories so far, and uh, I, I can't help but be struck with the tremendous possibilities that uh, my listeners, who are very much interested in storytelling and role-playing as a storytelling art, they can take a lot away from the kind of structures that you bring. Uh, what we want to talk about today is um, plot structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I noticed that you do a great deal of foreshadowing, and a lot of the things that you um, pay off on, the the uh, climactic moments, the uh, cliffhangers, if you will, they are clearly set up, and you can go back through with uh, a magnifying glass into the structure of the story and find where, okay, you know, this is where he set that up, and this is where he set that up, and, oh, wow, that was a totally throwaway line, but then it paid off over here. Right, right. So, So how can I tell my listeners... To sort of emulate you in that direction, what what what's your secret? I don't really know. I really don't know if there's a, a secret. Um, mostly because I was kind of learning how to write fiction as I wrote Seventh Son. Mm-hmm. Aside from some aborted and very bad short stories in in high school and college, and few of which I even finished. Uh, you know, Seventh Son's my first kind of dip into the to the to to fiction writing. Um, I I was a I'm a I'm a, a nonfiction storyteller by by training. I was a, a newspaper journalist and went to college to uh, become a newspaper reporter, and that's kind of where I hailed from. So writing wasn't unfamiliar to me, but. The, uh, the the act of kind of plotting uh, plotting a, a novel certainly was, and and maybe some of the lessons that I learned in my nonfiction writing kind of helped there too. Where you know you're looking for for themes and you're looking for a ways to kind of you know bring closure to your your feature writing when you're I was used to be a feature writer so you know if I can set up a personality trait with a, in a profile for instance on a, on a on a local celebrity or, or whatever early on in in my my nonfiction story by the end of the story. The quote that I that I that I would end the story with of the of the subject it seems to have resonance or something because because we had planted that seed and that's kind of where that stuff comes from. Um, for, for me, when I would write when I was writing Seventh Son, I mean, I kind of knew where I was going, generally speaking, but I didn't have the the narrative plotted out. Uh, from from front to back, from beginning to end, I would often plot about five chapters at a at a time, and that kind of helped motivate me stay focused with the story and kind of deal with the the right now of the story as opposed to the the twenty chapters from now. Um, mm-hmm. But but during this, you know, I realized that oh, well, okay, I mean. I, this particular personality quirk or this particular um, you know moment where they mention a, a a super secret technology offhandedly will come in really really handy when I have to explain you know how how human memories are recorded into a, a portable enclosure that you could like bring on a, an airplane for instance something like that mm-hmm. and and by and for me it wasn't the goal isn't so much how can I put it. I love to be surprised, but I hate to have an anvil fall on my head. I don't like deus ex machina. 
Nobody does. Right, right. But I, but I love, I love to be shocked. And and one of the things that I did was when I was writing Silent Sun, I was like, well, I just, I mean, my goal was to write a story that I wanted to read. And and the when surprises come from me, they always seem to be more delicious. Uh, and my eyes would widen twofold when not only am I surprised by a plot twist, but when it pays off something that was alluded to very, very early on in the story or before. And and so for me, it was it was an idea of kind of delicately or or you know seemingly uh, almost misguiding the, the the listener or the reader in in these setups, planting these seeds, so that when they paid off down the road, it was simply so that the it was just for one goal, so people could go. Oh, oh, the double surprise, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, and, and some of that, some of that came in actual the writing process, but but a lot of it, Sam, came in the editing process after I'd finished the work. Mm, I see. Okay, so you would go back through and say, well, how can I set this up? You know, what's the best way? As because you've got your 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 stuff mostly written, you're going back into the the written uh, record, as it were, and and putting those seeds in there. Yeah, that- yeah. A certain it, extent? Yeah, so, something like that. And, and not always, but, but sometimes. And, and sometimes it would require a paragraph, but often I would go back and, and literally just be writing in the margins. It's like, got to put something about subject X here. And it would often be a sentence or, or something. In, in, in a sentence and then maybe a reaction to it. Where, for instance, in, in book one, we see a field of supercomputers about a mile underground. The it, It's awe-inspiring. It's about three football fields wide of just nothing but, but cray supercomputers. And someone mentions the word DNAC. And then someone else says, what was that? And then, and then a third character says, "Shut up! We're 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 talking about this right now." Now, for for me, it was well, well, DNAC was the thing that would pay off later, which is which is an acronym for a DNA computer, which is a much smaller version of uh, <clears throat> what we saw in in that scene. But um, but it was it wasn't just dropping the hint, but having someone say. What was that? So that you know, and having almost like almost like an an oral reminder of it, so that so that your mind kind of stumbles on it for just a second. But but then we're you know shut up, shut up. We're moving on. And, and a lot of this stuff was like that in Seventh Son. Right. So that you know, essentially, um, you know, it's put in there. There's that moment um, when I'm a when I'm running a game. There's a moment when I do something like that where I have this heartbeat that doesn't actually happen mm-hmm. because I'm holding my breath, hoping my uh, players don't pick up on Tell the little seed that I just put in there. Tell me about it, man. Um, Tell me about it. <laughs> but then, wham, you know, and we just keep going on. We just yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a very cool thing. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it was, you know, it's all about, it's all about being, being sneaky and, but, but hiding in plain sight at the same mm-hmm. time. And, and, mm-hmm. and when, and you have to have those moments in a story so that again, so that the, so the seed, it, it pays off down the road. Um, but that's where you're at your most vulnerable in a way where it's like, okay, I am, I'm bearing, um, you know, I'm finally putting the, the, the cards down from my chest just for a second. And, and I'm letting you catch a glimpse of my hand and, and, and hopefully you'll remember the glimpse, but you won't remember the cards and you won't try to figure out what I'm going to be doing next. And that's kind of, that's kind of how I am with seven son. I mean, and, and certainly as, as the narrative has gone on from book one to book two, um, the hints for me and these little moments of seed planting have been coming, have been coming more and more frequently um, as the stakes are, as the stakes increase. And as we get closer to the end of the story where we want to have all this stuff paying off left and right. And I have just been like, it's like walking in a minefield while I'm, you know, biting my nails. Will they figure everything out? I hope they don't figure everything out. (laughs) And thankfully nobody's figured it out yet. (laughs) Well, that's great. Uh, You know, and I know exactly how you feel in that sense. Um, uh, when I do run games like that, where I have a lot of secrets in the background. Um, okay, well, the other thing I wanted to talk about with Seventh Son is that it has an extremely visceral appeal. There is a um, a lot of um, sense uh, tags in that in the in the story. Um, I am getting, you know, when I am re- uh, along with you on the story, I am seeing the uh, sets that you've put together. I I can visualize what the various uh, scenes uh, look like, and it's kind of amazing. And I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for my storytellers about how they might bring in 
um, a sense of place or a sense of setting in the stories that they're telling. Right. I think, again, I think this this might hail from my, my former profession as a journalist where, mm-hmm. and, and not and not just, you know, I, I don't want to, I wasn't like a spot news reporter. I wasn't a guy that would listen to the police scanner and then hop in the car and go cover the fire or whatever, or the, the bank robbery. I was the guy that, you know, was doing stories about uh, little old ladies and their victory gardens. I mean, really, I mean, it was, it right. was the personality kind of stories. And, and when you don't have that kind of, when you don't, when you don't have a hard edge story to tell, you start to kind of look for clues about a person and, and engage them in a way that kind of, that, that you hope will evoke some personality. So if I would go over to a person's house, you know, we would sit in their living room and I would, I would scan the, the, the mantle for for photographs i would what what kind of what why are we in this room what's special about this room what does this room tell uh tell me about the people who live here and you know and if, certainly and if i if i had the opportunity just to even if it's just for an icebreaker to ask them about that whoa that's a strange mask that you have a strange tribal mask that you have on the wall there where'd you get that and sometimes it would be well i went to africa or you know my my kid was in the peace corps you know that whole thing and you know, that tells you something about a person and it also also kind of makes the if you were to put that in your story in the newspaper story it makes that 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 come to life in a way well well hailing from that you know for me the devil is it, the devil and and the the heavenly are in the details it's 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 all it's awful because you actually have to concoct all of these details and that can be time consuming but i really do think that it kind of you know it kind of helps uh center the listener or the reader in a place that makes it feel authentic so so for for me you know any anything i could do to kind of bring bring detail and, and not not just not just in in set pieces where you know the clones or the heroes of the story are are looking at a giant machine that that birthed them 15 years ago but there's a sequence in Alaska that that ends with a with a fiery explosion and 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 for me it was like it wasn't just enough to say that the that the thing exploded it was like well let's talk about where the shrapnel's going let's talk about where where the you know the, one of the wheels of the vehicle you know blows off and skips across the skips across the snow like a like a like a stone on a pet on a on a lake you know that sort of thing because i think that those those moments um as fleetingly as they as they are you know bring bring you closer to the to, to what's happening now that doesn't mean that you know that doesn't mean that you have to you know describe what what kind of what brand of carpets you know that they they've got or something like that but and, and i even try to steer away from branding it's more it's more of like you know if if it's a if the guy's wearing a fancy suit, I would rather say that he's wearing a fancy Italian suit than have to do some kind of, you know, brand brand name research there. No, we all know that a, that's that fancy suits are Italian. Boom, we've done the math and we moved on. So there's this this tightrope between uh, bringing detail that makes things feel vivid, but not bogging you down with with um with too much detail. I wanted to um, make a, a comparison. You were talking about the branding. Um, and for me, I think that's a lot of things that I get stuck on in the details with uh, other action adventure storytellers in the in the marketplace, like um, uh, the Hunt for Red October. Uh, you know those kind of stories where he's he's going into the exact you know this was a forty four caliber German made uh, you know kind of bullet and saying, you know, what direction he's putting it in the gun. I mean, that's a little bit too much detail. Yeah. Yeah. That the kind of like detail porn. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we don't need to get that. And, and I, I like that you don't go that deep into the, into the detail. And yet when you do say it's a fine Italian suit, we know, I mean, we can draw that picture in our heads right away. Right. And, and that's the kind of thing that you were, I mean, that, that I am trying to get to. And I'm saying that you're, Stories are very visceral, and, and they're, they're appealing also, and I think that your um, journalist training uh, causes you to bring in other senses. You can smell, you smell things, you hear things, mm-hmm. you t- the taste of something. And, and I really, um, and that's part of 
part of what makes it so engaging. Well, well thank you. And, and Sam, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I do want to make it clear for, I mean, and you know this just as well as I do, but for anyone out there who's thinking, well, golly, do I have to, do I have to have a career of, of journalism? To, no, no, not at all. You just need to be aware of, of the fact that, that, you know, that details can be your friends and that, and that, and that it, by, by painting, and even if you're telling the story in a fantasy setting, you know, those details would help, um, root the reader in, that world, the everyday, the mundane, you know, that's, that's what we're kind of trying to sell, no matter ge- what genre we're in, because, because if you can, if you can, um, convincingly establish, uh, the mundane, then when the otherworldly or the supernatural or the threat begins to raise its head in your story, well, that's a big frickin' deal, and, and it'll get the emotional response that you need. Absolutely. You don't have to be a student of the universe and, and spend like 20 years studying the details of, uh, of everything. But as you go along in life and at, you know, just learning to pay attention um, and learning to sort of record and, and absorb your experiences so that you can use them later, it's, it's almost like what actors do when they, when they do sense memory. Mm-hmm. And to evoke a, an emotion, um, you know, and I, I definitely agree with you there. But of course, there's also some value into getting some experiences about the mundane world of that fantasy realm. Going in, going to a Renaissance fair, and, and listening to what it sounds like to have yeah. a blacksmith uh, work on a sword or, or something. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, tell me a little bit, uh, whatever you can, about this new novel you've got coming out. Oh, I can't. Ugh. You're like one of the first people who's asked me about it since since I tweeted. Well, you're the, you're absolutely the, the first person who's who's asked me about it since I tweeted the news last night on Twitter. Um, uh, but uh, oh golly, how can I how can I spin this in a way that that doesn't make me sound like I've completely sold out to the man? Well, that's okay. You know, I think that if anybody deserves to uh, to be. Uh, rewarded for his efforts i think you definitely do sir oh thank you well and if anyone who's earned the right to to, to totally leave my listeners and and your listeners in a cliffhanger it should be me too <laughs> absolutely. absolutely but but ulti- ultimately it's a, this this is a book contract that was signed yesterday uh in in early june um I I cried like a kid after I'd done it because this was this was something very very momentous for me. But the book contract is not for Seventh Son, and that's the interesting thing. Based on the success of Seventh Son, um, you know, my work attracted the the interest of of an entertainment company that wants to start a a series of novels. And I have to be really really vague about about a lot of this because because I mean I've signed I've signed a contract that is basically an NDA, and I I can't get into it. But I can say that that it's an extremely interesting concept and i'm i'm thrilled to be not only kind of playing in that world but helping create that world and as soon as i get the green light to to give um listeners more more information i certainly will well that sounds that sounds wonderful um and i like i said i i don't think that there's anyone who's more um, i mean except for perhaps you know some of your other podcast uh, fellow podcast novelists who have you know generously given of themselves and, and just like you have to create some stories for us and give them out to us for free uh, over the internet and allow us to uh, enjoy them before you're famous. And then suddenly, you know, you're gaining the notoriety and the, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, market capital, if you will, to, to become the sort of person who, uh, who gets book, book contracts on a regular basis. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to your Well, I'm looking book. forward to your, your podcast novel getting made into a movie, friend, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could happen. Hey, I'm know. telling you, you know, I'm all, I'm all about bringing my buddies with me, so, so if I find myself in a place where, you know, I could... Ha, okay, the, the, the enviable and the damn near mythological uh, place of being either rich and or famous, I'll make sure to share the wealth as much as I can. Well, that's awesome, and uh, just giving us a chance to to uh, ride along with you—that's what's what I like. Um, okay, so uh, you know, obviously, I have a lot to say about Seventh Son, and I, I think that one of the things that um, I've been struck with the most about Seventh Son is how a viable of a um, you know sort of a universe it, it is for. Uh, a role playing game or a story story game. Oh my god, you are you have just paid me the ultimate compliment. Thank you for saying that. Well, I mean it's it's 
it's pretty uh everyone that I, you know, can can think of. I mean there's there's just a lot of off the top of my head things, not just just taking the story as it is. Um but, you know, there's depths of character there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of things and I, and I'm I'm hoping that in this in the third novel that we're going to get to to get more uh, detail about these characters that we've come to know and love and even the characters we've, who have passed. Um, you know, I, w- I want to check back in with, say, Michael and his partner, you know, Michael's partner and see right. what the story is there. And I, I want to know, you know, how everyone is doing. And I, I'd i like to at least get some kind of emotional payoff for, uh, you know, the future. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if that, if you could say, you know, yes or no, that we get to. Yeah, least- yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to answer that. Um, one of the one of the things one of the big challenges of of writing Seventh Son, particularly the first time the the first time I did this was, you know, I wrote I wrote what we now know as the Seventh Son trilogy as as one long manuscript, and and because of that, there were you know I, I it's it's a I had to kind of stay focused on the core concept, which is it's a page turner, it's a page turner, it's a page turner, it's plot driven, plot driven, plot driven. Now we have been able to see a lot. I mean, well, I, I, I've been told that we've been able to see a lot of character and, and some character development with these guys along the way. And I'm thrilled. I'm a thrilled to, to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that's, that that paid off for listeners because that was my greatest fear is that I didn't think that the characters were as well defined as, uh, or would be as well received as they have been. And that, and that's a treat um, because it's a plot, a pot boiler uh, plot driven thriller. We may not get to spend a lot of time with, with backstory and a lot of time with, with closure from, with, um, with, with some supporting cast members, such as, you know, Michael, Michael's lover, who we met very, very early on in, in book one. But, but I also, as a storyteller understood that you can't not have that there. If you don't have that there, everyone's going to feel cheated myself included, because I was curious to know what was going to, what was going to happen there. Cause remember I was kind of making it up as I went along. Um, so, so, so that said, yes, we will, we will be getting, some emotional payoffs um, during book three. We'll be meeting new characters in book three. Um, some we're making some new some new ally friends there, which is good, and uh, and we'll be learning more about the backstories of some of our uh, some of the characters, uh, some of the protagonists who are still alive. So that's that's good. St- <laughs> who are still alive? <laughs> I, I I kill my children left and right, Sam. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. And and you are you know you have been the recipient of much rage and much you know instantaneous what <laughs> um including me for you know I, I was just blown away a couple of times um you know without and but then i then i realized you know this is the same kind of storytelling risks that you have to take um in order to you have to be willing to give up that you know that darling of yours to, to, um, you know, up the stakes and to move the overall dramatic plot forward. And, yeah. And make, and, make and it well, real. Well, the, you know, I'm glad you say that because that brings up a really good point of, of, you know, you, you come, you come to love these, these guys. And, and, and yet you, the minute you feel, at least for me, the minute I felt the things were feeling solid, it was time to change something. It was time. It was time to keep moving. I didn't want anyone to feel bored, I didn't, especially myself. And I didn't want my characters to feel bored. And the easiest way to to make sure that your character characters aren't going to feel bored is to make them miserable. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, and so for me, you know, there were moments. And, and you know, for 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 your listeners who don't know this, I'll, I'll keep it vague. But but in book two, I mean, the villain in the story who seems to, I mean, like he's the he's the guy that James Bond villains have nightmares about. Like this guy is is about as he has the heart of a black hole, and he he steals uh, weapons of mass destruction and puts a, a big 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 crater in the side of the world and uh, and and throws the the world into economic turmoil. Now I took no great pleasure. In stealing nuclear, because I mean, because you know, in the end, I'm the one who's responsible for all this. I'm the guy that came up with the idea. I didn't like stealing Russian nukes, and I didn't like firing them into the middle of the of the mid the Middle East and and killing millions of people. That I, I took no pleasure from that. In fact, I felt I felt guilty. I was racked with guilt for about a week leading up to this thing because I knew it had to happen. And why did it have to happen? Because it would make everything. 
imbalanced and it wouldn't make things you know it would it would shake off any boredom that anyone would have and and i kind of look at the kind of look at the emotional the emotional uh, line uh, of uh, of you know what was leading up to that moment in the book and things were pretty static i mean it was like we were we were hitting some closures things looked like they were kind of in control for the characters and that's when i decided no we got to pull the rug from out out from under them and make them miserable again so even even from the macro of you know destroying a middle eastern nation to the micro of of you know offing a protagonist you know i my goal was to make sure that everyone uh never felt safe yes and that uh plus you you definitely up the ante in the in the overall scheme of things i mean uh, there is a certain kind of uh unspoken contract between the uh reader and the novelist or the the director and the viewer mm-hmm. um where they you know you say well we we can show you nuclear weapons we can talk about the fact that they could be launched we could show you the countdown timer mm-hmm. but the hero is going to get there before they're launched you got to cut the red wire yeah yeah and and that's going to happen and that's going to be okay we're all okay with that we but when it actually goes off and there is that mushroom cloud which is the you know, it's it's a phantom from all of our childhoods. That's it's, right. It's something that is, you know, I used to lie awake at night in the middle of the night Sam, I'm right wondering. There I'm right there wondering. with you. Yep. And, uh, you know, did it already happen? And would I, you know, how would I know? And I know. It was, uh, it was something. Yeah. And so having that uh, happen was, you know, Definitely up the stakes. And and not only that, but the heroes never knew that there was a red wire to cut. Right. (laughs) Which is, you know, so it's also a very realistic thing. I mean, a lot of people, um, so are suddenly hit with the realism of, you know, if somebody wanted to do this and they had this technology of, of Psyjack, of being Mm -hmm. able to ride in someone else's uh, body without anyone else knowing, um, they could accomplish pretty much whatever they wanted. Quite a to. bit, yeah. They sure could, yeah. And uh, wow, that's just amazing. And I and I want to tell you that in my personal game um, uh, that I play with my partner, I have utilized some of this uh, as I, mean, I totally shamelessly stole no. from from you. No, <laughs> you're kidding. The sidejack, uh, the sidejack idea, um, and and some of the, uh, the concepts because we had a soul mirror. Oh my god, dude! This is like I'm blushing over here. This is fantastic. And the soul mirror uh, would 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 absorb people. Yeah. And, and also, you know, duplicate them. Oh. Um, there's this one. There's a, a villain villain by the name of Black Tom who keeps coming back because he can because he's you know he's immortal inside this mirror until they find the mirror and destroy it yeah that's it for them yeah so, right on man oh i'm thrilled i'm thrilled it's a lot of fun yeah so yeah and i will um and i'm i'm hoping that other listeners of the bears grove can take away similar ideas from your stories and i really do i have already uh, plugged your story a couple of times i think people are starting to get sick of me talking about it. But I've I've already plugged your story a couple times, but I want to plug it again and just say, look, um, if you are listening to the Bears Grove and you are a role player uh, who wants to tell great stories, go forth and listen, because this is, uh, I mean, it's a great example of the kind of story which will keep uh, your players on the edge of their seats and keep them interested Um and of course, I will be there on the seventh of July, um, eleven days before my birthday. Awesome! And, um, you know, it's my birth, my early birthday present, and I will be listening a lot right along with everyone else. Oh well, well, let me think. Let me see. If, um, I've got a big surprise on 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 uh, July seventh, and it's not just the debut of the book. I can't I can't talk about it right now, but but uh, I think that it will. I think you'll have a very memorable birthday, Sam. Awesome! That'll be awesome. Well, uh, thanks you so much for talking with me, JC. And I know this is part of your fifty 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 tour. Uh, have you gotten close to fifty yet? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the deal. Okay, Do so I get this to count is twice. Because we did... <laughs> well, okay, so we've got. You know, I have done more than. Now, listen. This is a. You gotta. You gotta understand that. That you know, I never expected to to be able to report this. 
I didn't think this would ever happen, frankly, but I have done more than 50 interviews with more than 50 podcasters. That, I mean, that just kind of melts my, my brain. Now, I haven't hit 50 states. That was the most ambitious part of this. And that was, that's the part that I, I will not be able to attain. And here's why mm-hmm. is that with, with this signing of the, the signing of the contract for this new project that I'm working on, um, every, I mean, th- they need a very, very tight turnaround on this project. They need, they need copy by October. And, oh and this has, you know, this is kind of like, this has become suddenly, you know, my, my, my life in, as a podcaster is kind of a pressure cooker by default because, because it's a second full-time job and now there's another full-time job that I have to deal with here. So, so I have had to cut the 50-50-50 short so that I can start working on this, on this new project. Uh, that, that said, um, I think that there are around 30 states that were represented with a lot of awesome. double up in, in, you know, California and, and New York and places like that. But yeah, I mean, you gotta, I mean, think about that. That's amazing. And, and I'm just, I'm just completely, I mean, it's one of these things of like, I know that I am a, I am relentlessly thanking my listeners on my podcast for, for, you know, whatever they're doing, either just feedback or, or, you know, projects that they send me and stuff. And, and here's just another example of like, it wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the fact that so many people were, were, were so generous, um, like you, Sam, to, to invite me on their shows and do this. So, so I'm, I'm just, um, you know, again, it's just, it's just another example of me being quietly stunned at the generosity of strangers. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty humbling. Yeah, I can I can totally understand where that would be, and frankly, I think we need to uh, we wor- need to worry about you burning out, Mister Hutchins. You need to <laughs> be very careful, sir. I, I, we, we, you're a, a precious resource, and you know, take care of yourself that way. And and how is it that you are able to maintain a relationship at the same time? I I have a very 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 patient woman in my life who yes you know and what's interesting is that you know i mean one of one of the things that i'm really kind of quietly happy about despite the fact that it means more work for me sam is that is that this this um this contract that i signed and this project that i'm doing is is obviously a direct result from the success of the podcast novel it's not based on the success of my printed work because there is no printed work to have successes from and and, and it's one of these things where it's a nice validation um not only you know from from the industry but but you know, for for myself and and my my partner, my girlfriend, to kind of sit back and go, okay, so we weren't really crazy for for diving into this whole thing a year and a half ago. Awesome, awesome. Well, and like I said, take care of yourself. I know that you're incredibly busy, but we uh, we appreciate you. And uh, ultimately, if we have to wait a couple of weeks before between podcast episodes. You know that's fine. Just let's 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 make sure it doesn't become a thing where, you know, it's a crash and burn for you. And I, that's the one thing I would be concerned about. Well, I'm, so, I'm well. Thank you for that. I'm learning. I'm trying to perfect human cloning. Right. Right. I think that's where all this is going. Or I need to talk to your 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 buddy Black Tom. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, okay. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me, and I really appreciate you helping me out with recording this and. Go forward. All right, Sam. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Bears Grove podcast. That's the end of Bears Grove number 32. The Bears Grove is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. For more information about Fireheart Foundry and the podcasts that we have, go over to fireheartfoundry.com. The Bears Grove welcomes your feedback. The best way to get feedback to me is to email me at bearsgrove at gmail.com. Or you can call the listener comment line at 206-202-3275. The Bears Grove is brought to you under a Creative Commons license, attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, 2.5. Thank you so much for listening and have sweet dreams when you get them.